Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How can this market get itself back on track? After a day where the Dow gained 116 points, but was up a lot more at one point, S&P advanced just 0.15%. NASDAQ climbed 0.27%. What do we need to see before we can start believing that we are in a sustainable rally? Ah. This market's going to need a big machete to carve a path forward for the bull. It will not be easy. We're in maximum controversy mode, meaning the thickets filled with elephant grass, mosquitoes, and triple canopy cover, making it impossible to blast the bears from above. The obstacles to going higher are legion, but that doesn't mean that nothing can go right. It just makes the gauntlet more difficult. So what needs to happen? I'm gonna trace it out. First, Fed Chief Jay Powell needs to blow us away with his statement at tomorrow's press conference. Believe it or not, this is actually the easiest part of the gauntlet. A lot of people are acting like we're about to step on a landmine with this guy, but nothing could be further from the truth. The guy's been practicing for this role his entire life. He knows exactly what the market wants to hear, and he will deliver it. Specifically, Powell needs to tell us that the economy is strong, not too strong, but robust enough to create a lot of jobs. He needs to stress how there's more job creation coming down the pike. He has to dodge any questions about Trump other than to say the corporate tax package is spurred good growth. I tell you to play a drinking game, take a shot every time he says the word growth. But I don't want to be responsible for that kind of liver damage. Then Powell has to defend the rate hike. He can say he sees incipient inflation. Uh, Not more than that, please. But enough to remind us that we need to get interest rates back to more normal levels. We have one of the strongest economies in the world. We don't want it to overheat. Now, this is really important. Powell must, must, must talk about how Amazon or its ilk and the new digitized economy are acting to contain the kind of inflation that you'd normally expect at this point in the business cycle. No one talks about this. It's just dumb. Automation and competition are key keeping prices down. By the way, autos have already peaked, housing's cooling. Those are good things if you're the Fed chief. The real inflation is short-term. Higher plastic prices because so many factories closed down after a hurricane and a surge in demand for drivers, which we keep hearing about. Uh, You know what? I actually regard that as a high-quality problem because it means there are places where relatively unskilled workers can still get decent jobs. In other words, Powell needs to justify the rate hike as a preemptive strike against the kind of inflation that could come with a fast-growing economy, even as it hasn't really come yet. Then he has to talk about the next rate hikes. I want him to do it like his predecessor, explaining that he's going to remain data dependent, even as he wants to normalize rates by gradually taking them higher. He can't be tone deaf to the dangers of lockstep rate hikes. But if he wants to, he can tentatively commit to three, and the market will love it. That's all Powell has to do. That's all he has to do. If we get this, if he follows my script, I think he actually will. And then the banks and the techs and the health cares can all rally. I think today's afternoon run was about the script I just outlined, how it can very well occur. Notice the strength in the non-social media text today, which brings me to the next ingredient in a sustained rally 
the cloud kings have to soar. Last night, Oracle announced what some analysts definitely called a, a slowdown. It was kind of brutal. It's amazing that the market's reaction was not to think that Oracle's cloud slowdown infected the whole group. It was the opposite. Workday, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Splunk, Red Hat, VMware, and most importantly, Adobe roared higher, with the latter seemingly in an uncontrollable romp. Not only that, but after the close, although it hurt the stock, Cloud King Salesforce bought MuleSoft, MuleSoft to take on enterprise software, where Oracle is especially strong. This is a $6.5 billion cash and stock takeover by Salesforce for MuleSoft. I know the stock used to be much lower. I am sure there are going to be people who complain that this thing is too expensive. But you know what? We like takeovers from Mad Money. Now there's other good news. Square, some good news here. Square's back. It's taking leadership position. Oh, and remember to those who thought that NVIDIA was rolling over? (laughs) Well, neither the dog nor the stock's playing dead here. Intel continues its upward charge. If tech keeps acting as a leadership group, that helps enormously. Now, let's see if Micron blows away the number this Thursday. Jeez, it sure acts like it's going to. Third, we need to see the European Commission pledge to look into, not act, but look into taxes on U.S. companies like Amazon and Google that do business in the EU. We need to hear that these taxes could be as high as 2%, no higher, because anything above that will jeopardize the nascent move in Amazon, up $41 today, told you I liked that one, and continue to roll back the price of Alphabet, which is a disappointment. The fourth thing we need for a nice bull run, we really like to hear a bunch of things from the president. Uh, and firing Mueller is not one of them, by the way, or or getting rid of Sessions and making quid pro quo to have a new attorney general who fires him immediately. That's too much, too much like October 20th, 1973. Yes, the Saturday Night Master. Now, ideally, what the president will say before he puts on any more tariffs on China is he'll sit, he wants to sit down with them eye to eye, and he can make a deal. Now, the president used the meat axe and aluminum steel. It's time for a little bit more of like a stiletto and negotiation saying, hey, you know what? $60 billion in duties are coming right at you unless you come to the table and make some changes. Now, I've been a major advocate of pushing back against China's unfair trade practices. I've been calling them a paper tiger. But it's better for everyone if we can resolve this amicably rather than taking the trade war to the next level. Oh, and while we're at it, the president should send out chief economic advisor Larry Kudlow to the media to explain that we have a pro-growth agenda in this country. And to that end, we won't start hitting the Europeans with reciprocal tariffs on cars if they come to say uh, they commit to, say, building more car factories in the U.S. Let Larry make the point, Mr. President. You don't have to be the heavy uh, 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 only if they can't come to an agreement. That happens. Well, let's say Larry comes out, says good things. The industrial stocks will roar. They haven't been able to break out lately because of the tariff fear. But I bet they take off if uh, we start negotiating. Fifth, we need the rally in the retailers to continue. I particularly like the action of some of the mall-based outfits like Abercrombie & Fitch, American Eagle, Urban Outfitters. Kohl's is climbing all the way back. Told you to stick with that. Nordstrom, Gap, Macy's. They were horses into yesterday's downturn. And how about those suppliers, VF Corp, PVH, won't quit. Neither will the stock of Ralph Lauren. Coors took a breather yesterday, back on track today. Estee Lauder, all-time high. Kohl's, Target, Home Depot, Costco, they were preposterously strong today. Remember, Jay Powell can help this group by talking about a strong consumer. That's probably the eighth strong I've used in this segment. The fact that FedEx reported a boffo quarter tonight is, I was going to use strong again, but that's just too much already, is a sign that e-commerce continues to war. No one is following this retail rally except for yours truly, because no one really believes there's any life from the mall or the strip mall. The fact that the group ignored the relatively tepid forecast from Children's Place is a terrific tale. It's kind of like the Cloud Kings ignored Oracle. 
And these retailers ignored Joseph's place. Six, we need Facebook top brands to come out and issue a ton of mea culpas, even if they don't mean it. Uh, I'm going to give them a game plan to follow later in the show that will help get the company out of purgatory. But they need to follow my plan to the letter. They'd be foolish if they don't. If Facebook starts being smart, its stock will stop going down as it's incredibly cheap here. It's selling for less than 19 times next year's earnings estimates. But the fundamentals won't matter until management changes the narrative by pretending to have some humility. Finally, we need to have some recent roadkill to stop going down. General Electric needs to sell division Emerson Electric pronto. Broadcom needs to announce a gigantic buyback. And Apple needs to return to its all-time high, given that nothing is wrong with it other than it's caught up with the consumer product stocks, not the techies. Bottom line, we have about 24 hours to fight through this thicket. Machetes at the ready. The path traced out. The, ex- the extrication point can be reached. The LZ is hot. But it's a terrific place to lift off from. Hey, why don't we go to Garrick in Connecticut? Garrick! Booyah! Hey, Jim. How's it going? Uh, you know what? I'm all fired up today. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I just want to get your thoughts. Given the FDA's recent rulemaking proposal on cigarette nicotine levels, do you think that there will be any residual impact of such regulation on a company like Philip Morris International? I don't want to touch these stocks. Which when I was out on the US. coast, I met with a guy who's starting a company that is going to make it incredibly easy to stop smoking. I think the last thing you want to be is in a tobacco stock when this guy's product rolls out. And I'm going to get him on the show. All right. Now you know what the market needs for to get back on track. I've given you how to get through the gauntlet, and then it could be off to the races. But every single thing has to happen. Well, my buddy, tonight, I'm breaking down biotech in tonight's Off the Charts to see if there's some stocks in the group that are offering up a potential buying opportunity. Then with Twitter's recent drop of the rest of tech, have its wings been clipped, or could it be a chance to buy the bird? And you might know him from Shark Tank, but from his day job, Robert Herjavec works hard to prevent security breaches. So what does he have to say about the action in Facebook? I'm sitting down with a shark himself, so stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. In this increasingly volatile, changing environment, does it make sense to start circling back to beating down, get this, biotech stocks? This group has been a real lagger, to say the least, but it has, with safe, consistent growth, you know what, might become more appealing to Wall Street in a world where more and more turbocharged growth stocks keep getting called into question. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's the brilliant technician who runs FibonacciQueen.com. That's a good website. Also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com, where she does some great work to see if there are any potential opportunities in the biotech cohort. While Baroden admits that many of these charts look sloppy here, oh, that's a nice word for it. Without a clear pattern, there are a couple of names that she's stalking in case they give us a nice buying opportunity in the near future. She's not saying they're buyers right now, right here. But if we see a few specific technical changes in the near term, she thinks you should be ready to pounce. I like this because it's a setup. If they don't get there, you don't do them. If they get there, you do them. Before we get into the individual names, though, Roden wants you to take a look at the daily chart of the iShares NASDAQ Biotechnology ETF. 
This is the IBB, which no one is talking about whatsoever. In February, the market got hit with a fast and furious downside correction. Uh, she points out that the IBB ended up finding support from symmetry. What symmetry, you ask? We talked about this before, but it bears repeating. For technicians, symmetry is when swings in stock prices tend to terminate at levels that are similar or equal to past swings in the same direction. In the case of the IBB, the peak to trough decline was $18.28, which was almost the same as the previous big decline of $18.36 going to the lows of November 2016. Big decline, big decline. If you want to understand how Broden's methodology works, this is a very good example. By analyzing the size of the IBB's past swings, she was able to identify an area of possible support for the ETF. This kind of thing may sound totally crazy. Why on earth should swings in stock prices tend to be similar in size? But it works. For whatever reason, you often see moves of the same scale repeated over and over and over again. So after the IBB came down 18 bucks, Broden was watching for any positive action that would confirm we'd bottom. When those buy triggers started firing off in mid she knew that buying the IBB was a very decent bet. Why does this matter? Because as long as the biotech ETF holds above its February 9th low of 101, down nine bucks from here, Broden believes it can continue to power higher, heading to its next ceiling of resistance at 124, her target, perhaps even going to 130. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, everyone thinks this group is left for dead. Now, earlier this month, the ETF pulled back to 105 before bouncing again, and lately it's been coming back down again, although the decline was holding today. Broden expects the IBB to retest that March 2nd low. Okay, you can see that. Uh, and that's where she'll be waiting for the next buy signal. In short, the biotech cohort appears to be cooling off a bit after a nice rebound from the lows. So the Fibonacci queen is on the lookout for opportunities created by patterns that tend to repeat themselves. Hey, look, theoretically, there should be no rhyme or reason to the charts. If the stock market was logical and behaved the way economists say it would, technical analysis would be pointless. But we don't live in that kind of world. The market is an emotional beast, which is why I think Broden's methodology works. That's why these patterns repeat themselves. And right now, that's why she's watching two biotech stocks that everybody hates. She's watching Regeneron and Celgene. Let's start with the daily chart of Regeneron, a company we follow for ages. They're the guys behind Ilea. There's a revolutionary macular degeneration drug, and they also have an anti-cholesterol drug that's pretty exciting. Regeneron has been in the doghouse lately. After surging above $500 last summer, it spent, well, let's just say month after month after month after month getting pummeled down to $333, Okay. As of today. But Broden thinks we could soon get a tradable low in one of the worst performing stocks. It's even hard to look at. Why? A bunch of reasons. First, remember Broden's methodology depends on a series of ratios discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics, Leonardo Fibonacci. She takes past swings in a stock, runs them through the prism of those uh, Fibonacci ratios to spot areas where, they, where that stock is likely to change its trajectory. And one of the most important ratios in this whole uh, realm is the 127.2 extension. This is where moves tend to terminate. Regeneron is approaching a 127.2 extension of its run from April of last year into June, meaning it's erased that gain and gone 27.2% further. Or it will, uh, will have if the stock hits $310. No surprise, then, that Regeneron bottomed at 313 in mid-February. As of yesterday at the intraday highs, it had rallied 39 bucks. although after the market-wide beatdown, it's only up about 20 bucks. Broden also uses this method to analyze the x-axis, okay? So uh, that's the chart, the time. The time is the x-axis. Keep the 127 in mind and the time, okay? 
She measures the duration of past swings, runs them through the same Fibonacci prism, and finds dates where a stock is likely to change course. Regeneron got a bunch of these Fibonacci time cycles in mid-February, which is exactly where it started rebounding. The other reason has to do with symmetry, which we talked about before. When Regeneron started declining in late January, the me- she measured the two previous swings. They lasted for $84 and $82. Well, in February, Regeneron stopped going down after an $82 decline. That's how the Fibonacci queen operates. But how does it help us now more than a month later? Could this rally be sustainable? Take a look at the next version of Regeneron's daily chart, okay? Since last June, the stock has been steadily sinking, making a consistent pattern of lower lows and lower highs. Broden says the pattern remains intact. Notice the stock rallied $39 from the February lows to its peak, okay? You can see that that was a nice, that was a nice catchable uh, trade, peak yesterday, before getting banged out along with the rest of the market. There's a bang down. Okay. That, mean t- that matters to Broden because Regeneron's prior rallies have tended to last for $33 to $50. If Regeneron is going to get his group back, it needs to break out of this pattern, which means clearing a bunch of, uh, bunch of hurdles in the mid-50s and the mid-350s and mid-360s. This is a lot to ask for. Remember at the top of the show, I talked about the gauntlet. Well, this is a gauntlet. Now, this may seem far away after yesterday's beating, but it's what Broden's watching for long term to judge whether Regeneron can snap out of its bearish funk. If this stock can break into the mid-360s, Broden believes that it goes to $455. Mighty big if. Mighty big return. How about the other biotech she's eyeing? This one's a real sick puppy. It's called Celgene. Here's a once red hot stock that's been obliterated since last fall, coming down from $147 to $88. Investors have become increasingly worried about incipient competition in the company's regulatory woes. Take a look at the daily chart. It's been brutal. Wow. Uh, even as I think Celgene, the company, still has got some stuff going for it. Broden believes the stock has found a, a, a floor of support in the mid-80s right here, okay? Right here. And that's down a point or two from where it's currently trading. However, if Celgene can break out of the mid, to the mid-90s from here, that would tell Broden that the stock is ready to run. Of course, it tested those levels last week and failed to clear them. But she's patiently waiting for the stock to make another attempt. The bottom line, the charts interpreted by Carolyn Broden are not looking that great for Regeneron or Celgene at the moment. But with the biotech ETF showing some signs of life, she thinks it's worth watching these two former market darlings in case they start getting some traction. If Regeneron and Celgene can start breaking out to the upside, she get positive fast. Me, I think they're absolutely worth watching, especially Celgene, which has been punished for uh, far too harshly. But there are easier ways to make money. All right, much more mad money ahead, including my take on Twitter. The stock's down significantly today, but could be prime to buy. Then, the man, the myth, the shark. Tonight, Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank is lending his entrepreneurial eye to help spot the market's next trend. And, of course, we're going to ask him about Facebook. Oh, hey, by the way, Zuckerberg, listen up. I'm offering up a playbook to get you out of this mess. And it will. Honestly, I actually know these things. Stick with Craig. The hits just keep coming to social media. Yesterday, it was Facebook getting absolutely pancaked thanks to its data leak to Cambridge Analytica, although, of course, that continues today. It's one of those organizations that helped get Trump elected. Today, it was Facebook again uh, over a Federal Trade Commission probe about how they handled their user data. But the pain also spread to Twitter today. The house of pain. And it was down a stunning 10.4%. What happened? In the middle of the day, Bloomberg reported that Israel was considering the legal action 
against Twitter. According to the Israeli justice minister, Twitter has been ignoring Israel's repeated requests to remove content that incites people toward violence against the Jewish state. Doesn't surprise me. There is a lot of awful stuff on Twitter. But does it make sense for the stock to sell off 10.4% on the news that one small country is thinking about a lawsuit? I think that's excessive. Don't get me wrong. Twitter does seem to have a problem with violently virulent anti-Semitic users. But I think that this is more of a public relations issue than an earnings issue. I doubt Twitter will lose a tenth of its business if it shuts down the hate crime contingent. In fact, I think this weakness represents an incredible buying opportunity in what's become a very high-quality growth stock. Now, just last week when we were out in San Francisco, we checked in with Twitter's new chief financial officer, Ned Siegel. I don't know if you liked him. I sure did. He told a very compelling story. There's a reason uh, this name has more than doubled over the last 12 months. Look, all the uh, things that made Twitter one of the hottest stocks of 2018 until today are still true. Remember, Twitter spent years in the wilderness trying to get its act together as investors soured on the growth story. Starting in March of last year, though, they began to make real progress. It was almost exactly one year ago that Twitter purged 636,000 accounts to fight extremism. It's not like they've been sitting on their hands with this issue. The company partnered with IBM to identify abuse patterns in their users. The general idea was that Twitter wanted to make its platform be a better place for, uh, to be. Gentle. Twitter become troll central. But in the last year, the atmosphere has become a lot more friendly. I can say from personal experience that trolls have been buried deep in the comments and their crudest responses are now hidden. Unless you're a real masochist who actively chooses to view that stuff. My kids don't even mind looking at my file anymore. I mean, that, they, they've cleaned things up. Last September, they shut down another 300,000 accounts for promotion of terrorism. It seems clear to me that Twitter has gotten the message on this issue. They know they need regular housekeeping, and it costs money, but that's okay. you got to house clean constantly to purge these highly problematic users. That's exactly what they're doing. So if Israel wants to get more aggressive, I doubt management will have a problem with it. They've also done a great job of eliminating the bots who used to clog up your Twitter feed. In January, more than a million accounts vanished after the New York Times ran an expose about fake followers. The company's also taken steps to fix its verification procedures so that fewer neo-Nazis get that little blue check mark next to their handle. At the same time, Twitter's being improved. I've been improved. It's content rolling out all sorts of premium content, streaming deals across news, a lot of sports, entertainment, three areas where the company has always excelled. And, of course, Twitter is President Trump's favorite medium for communicating with the American people. Hey, Trump just uh, fired his Secretary of State via twit, a tweet. Rex Thorson deserved more. He's a great patriot. But you know what? He got the tweet. Uh, it's hard to quantify exactly what Trump means for Twitter's business, but believe me, it's darn good. In short, they've done a great deal to improve the platform in a fairly short period of time. And lately, those initiatives have really been paying off. The company's now had five straight quarters of double-digit daily average user growth, proof positive that more people feel comfortable spending time on the site. That's what this is about. In truth, Twitter's been giving us excellent numbers for basically a whole year, but the past two quarters were particularly stunning. In October, the company delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, but more importantly, Twitter's daily active user growth accelerated to 14%. Its monthly active users increased by 4% year-over-year. Hey, listen, that's a turn, okay? Even better, the company gave very strong guidance for the next quarter. When February rolled around and Twitter reported its fourth quarter results, the company blew away even its own very bullish forecast. It generated $731 million in revenue when Wall Street was only looking for $680 million. It earned $0.19 cents a share, and also respecting uh, $0.14, cents, while Twitter's monthly average user growth stayed steady at 4%. Would have been higher, but not for the ongoing efforts to 
reduce spam and bots. Its daily average user base grew by 12%. Can you imagine if Facebook thought like this? Let's put this all in perspective. A year ago, Twitter's revenue was shrinking down 7% uh, in the first quarter of 2017. Now it's going again, albeit slowly, up 2%. For the full year, analysts are forecasting 10% revenue growth. That's phenomenal. Ah, well, that's what a comeback looks like. No wonder the stock has been so hot. This is what happens when you get a massive pivot and acceleration in a short period of time. I think the company deserves a lot of credit for making these many improvements, both by purging bad actors and adding new content. It wasn't afraid to show it at fewer users. That's what I think is constructive capitalism. Perhaps more important, Twitter's been doing a much better job of monetizing its users. The company's far more profitable than it was in the past. They've had four terrific earnings beats in a row. The reason Twitter's become a better, more efficient operator, resulting in substantially higher margins. They've cut costs aggressively, and that's really paying off now that the company's growing its revenues again. That's called leverage. Put it all together, it's easy to see why this stock has caught a series of upgrades in recent months. In particular, Doug Amos over at J.P. Morgan really nailed this one. When he slapped a $27 price target in the stock back in December, calling it one of his favorite small to mid size ideas for 2018. At the time, that was the highest price target on Wall Street, and he was dead right. We often call it analysts for being wrong here on Mid Money, but it's also worth pointing out when they surely know what they're talking about. Uh, when you consider all the positives, I think it was crazy to dump Twitter today, and it's wrong to sell it here because Israel might be taking legal action to make the company get more aggressive about cracking down violent anti-Semitism. Given the recent track record, I think Twitter will want to get ahead of this immediately and go past what Israel might want. Bottom line, when you see a high-quality stock lose over 10% of its value in a single day, you got to ask yourself if it's worth buying, particularly after we just saw them last week, and I feel great about it. When Facebook got clobbered yesterday and today, I told you it was still too early to pounce although I think at the bell, Facebook was rallying nicely. But what's happening to Twitter is a lot more straightforward, and I think it absolutely deserves to be bought into this excessive pullback. Hey, you know what? I'm just hurrying, hoping you can buy some at these prices and the ba- buy some even if it goes lower, because Twitter is absolutely the right stock to pull the trigger, trigger, the trigger on. Let's go to Allen in New Jersey. Allen! Jimbo, a big New Jersey Garden State booyah to you. Well, I'm really thrilled to have a home state booyah going here. What's going on? Calling you about Snapchat. What's going on with this company, Jim? I mean, they changed their format, and a lot of the people who were really liking it have suddenly stopped liking it. There's been more interest in Instagram, but, you know, Instagram's in the black hole of Facebook. And until Facebook does what I have to say, it's going to remain a black hole. Yeah. Is that arrogant? Nah, it's just been my time that I've had. I know what they need to do. Tweet, tweet. The stock of Twitter's gotten a hit. But you know what? Buy it. There's much more made money ahead. When Robert Herzog isn't investing in the next big thing on Shark Attack, he manages the cybersecurity for some of the biggest corporations on the planet. So what does he make of the drama surrounding Facebook? I'm going to sit down with the shark. Oh, yeah, we're going to ask him about Bitcoin. Are we safe in Bitcoin? Are you crazy? Then Mark Zuckerberg's wealth has tumbled by more than $9 billion over the past 48 hours. How should he get out of this mess? Well, I'm going to give him the answers. And all your calls, rapid fire, tight decisions, the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I'm going to call it stock trading. Why is it called stock trading? Well, because when you're on the trading, the trading desk, desk. When you're on the trading desk and there's news, people say, stop trading Bristol Myers. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
Friends, if we need another reminder that cybersecurity is important, the beating of Facebook stock over the past couple of days because of its poor handling of a user data server. <laughs> this serves, it serves as a reminder. I got to tell you, this is the worst one I've seen in terms of how to handle it. So what do we do? We got to find someone who knows more than anybody. And that's why I'm thrilled we have a chance to check in with Robert Herjavec. He is the cybersecurity expert and an entrepreneur behind the Herjavec Group. It's a major privately held player in the space, although you probably recognize him as one of the original sharks on the Shark Tank, or perhaps as the author of You Don't Have to Be a Shark Creating Your Own Success. Mr. Herjavec, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you. Thank you I cannot believe we are so lucky to have you, because I'm going to put it right to you. Okay. All right. You just discovered that there's a big data breach that one of your clients, you, you've been brought in, one of your clients has been silly enough to let 50 million people have information that they didn't think. Is this a data breach? Is it something you take seriously? Or is it something you just say, hey, easy come, easy go? Well, I think, you know, you raise a great point. Is, is it really a data breach when the consumer has given permission for the data? The problem in the case of Facebook is, I don't know what you're doing with my data. I may have given you permission to tell me which fridge to buy, but I probably didn't give you permission to sell it to the Russians or to somebody else who's trolling that data. Well, then, if you were called in, which they should have, because you're the number yes, one. Yes, they should in the, have. In the cybersecurity are. Yeah. number one. Would you not have said you got to get ahead of this? Yeah, absolutely. I would have. I don't think people take information as critically as they should today. It is the modern day weapon. Jim, we are living in a cold war right now and we're under attack. We're under attack every single day. And that's why we need a purple team, right? We do need. Wow. Very good. Oh, yeah, I love this. People, I heard of red and blue until I started reading about your purple. <laughs> people need to test and verify. And a lot of people take it. Uh, don't take it seriously enough. They don't. I mean, right before you came in, I saw that Expedia had 800,000 for Orbitz, 880,000 card hack. And I was thinking, did they have cyber hygiene or did they just say, hey, you know, look, it's, it's yeah. really, it's information and we're going to get hit. There's nothing you can do about it. We are going to get hit. And what's very interesting is the U.S. is one of the few countries that doesn't have a great national privacy law. Look at the U.K. I was going to ask you because I was going to say, what do the initials GDPR mean? Because people are using it. Oh, GDPR is, oh my gosh, what is well, uh, I'm saying, data this protection? Is, we're, we're talking about Europe being a leader in terms of this. Right. So the UK is a leader in protection. Right. But the key is you have to have teeth with the regulation, Jim. GDPR is a 6% penalty to your global sales oh. if consumer data is taken. Now, do you think the Facebook would have taken privacy more seriously if they had a 6% penalty? Yes. Well, this is the problem is, is that everybody feels it's penalty free no matter what. Hey, the worst that happens is they get my credit card and I'll get, I'll get stopped out and Visa won't make me pay. Don't we have to have someone in the system like that saying, listen, you don't use your, you gotta, you use your password and it was the generic password. Well, you know what? You're in trouble. Well, I hate to say it. It's the government. I hate to say it. The Internet is all about free use. Right, right. But the government has to come in and put some regulation around this because the large corporations fundamentally aren't going to care. Facebook and companies like that are becoming utility. Right. right. There's got to be some regulation around that. OK. Now, speaking of, of unregulated, we had on the cybersecurity guy last week and we were talking about how 
You did a, a great lot. interview. I saw that. Oh, thank With you. With Dr. Merritt from Splunk. Yeah. What a great company. Oh, you, you like those? I aren't they that. smart? The Cloud King. Splunk Cloud is Cloud King. You know, Doug called us out as one of the key reasons for their success in security. We've been with Splunk for eight years. I didn't know Splunk that. Splunk is the future. Because they have tons of data, and they've tons not been data. part of this, right. the embarrassing things. So I'm glad you like them, because I think that they're very, very right. But we were talking about, I uh, talked about Bitcoin. Yeah. Why does everyone think they're so safe in Bitcoin? And why do people think that, well, the worst that happens is they have to pay off ransomware? Well, I, first of all, I don't think you're safe in Bitcoin. Right. I do think Bitcoin is extremely speculative. I do think it's going to go back up again. Okay. I do think people get very excited. People love to make money, Jim, don't they? Yes. And when you have something that goes from 200 to 20,000, I'm sorry, we don't have stock. We have Amazon. But right. that is not. This is this is turbocharged. Amazon. If people could make money in tulips, they would buy tulips. Right. Bitcoin right. is tulips, and we're going to see that go up again. But fundamentally, you can't trace a Bitcoin transaction. That's the problem. Oh. That's why it's good for cybersecurity. Right. Now, what I'm wondering is, is that when you get hacked and someone says, listen, you can call this Bitcoin desk uh, and we will destroy the data that we have, which looks right. very bad for you. Should we trust them? Well, look what happened with Facebook. Facebook assumed that the people they sold the data to legitimately have destroyed it, and they didn't. So would you trust a criminal who says, I've destroyed your data? The answer is no, of course not. Well, with that brings... But you shouldn't pay ransomware. But a lot of people are, especially hospitals. Well, okay, especially hospitals? Hospitals. What do you mean? One of the biggest sectors that's getting hit in the United States is healthcare. What do they have? They have antiquated old systems, computer systems. They can't afford security. They're not keeping up, so they're being hit. It's one of the biggest, biggest issues right now in the United States. Do private companies, just individual private hospitals? companies, individual why hospitals. Why do we not know this? Why are you the? Why is well, this I, the first time I've heard it? Well, I hear it every day. Right. People right. know it. It's a big deal in that world. So what they have to do is because they're dealing with patient records. You're on that hospital bed. I got to pay for that ransomware. So the hospitals actually pay for the ransomware. It's a catch-up. They're trying to catch up with the system. Holy cow, I didn't know this. All right, well, I've got you. Come on, Shark Shark Tank, some cloud faves. What are you thinking? In terms of? Oh, cloud fave. You've got SandCloud. Oh, SandCloud. Love SandCloud. They came on the show. There were three kids selling towels that they found in Turkey. This is Turkish towels. Turkish towels. And you know what? They're, They're nice towels. Do they dry me off? No, but I'm old. I'm not a millennial. They come out with these cool towels. And here's the great thing. You know what their sales model is? You buy one. You post a picture on how cool you look in their towel, and you can become an ambassador. Other kids buy the towel, and they do the same thing. No sales force. 70 million in sales to your you know, I, 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 Can you believe that? No, I think that's amazing. But, you know, let me just say, let me back up for a second. Uh, my daughter, my executive producer, there are people who are addicted to your show. Uh, my daughter wants to do in a treehouse hotel. She knows that you guys are, you know, you fund, but you give hope. Okay, right. I want to point that out. And these three guys. Right. With, with, I love so that. It's, you it's give the greatest hope. reason I do the show. And women, women, amazing number of women. Are. And I think that's so fabulous because we have very few women CEOs. We know that there's a glass ceiling. It is absolutely incredible. And the other thing that's incredible is that your story makes it incredible. Yugoslavia, get here with nothing. Number one cybersecurity expert team in the country that you put in, in the world, not the country because you're in Canada. Tell us your story because I love your story. 
Yeah, Jim, you know, I'm really proud of it. I mean, so many things. You know, 36% of our staff is female, and I'm really proud of that. When I came, we originally landed in Canada, literally on a boat called the Cristofero Colombo, with one suitcase, no money. Somebody lent us some money to take a train to Toronto, live in someone's basement. And one of the things I love about Shark Tank is, and I really believe this, this is the land of opportunity. Yes! I still believe that. I still believe that America is the greatest country in the world. And I think here, nobody sees, and I know people do, and I know it's really hard, and I know the people are watching your show and saying, why can't I get ahead? But I'm telling you, my friend, race, color, sex, if you can add value, you can get ahead in this country. Is there any other country that you could have such an opportunity in? Canada. Well, Canada. That's Australia, true. maybe, right. but America is the best country in the best world friend. to do business. It's our best friend. By the yeah. way, I'd, so, I like to remind, if I were with the president right now, I would remind him who has been our best friend in war and in peace. In Canada. Canada. Absolutely. And that has to be brought home to some people in Washington because they don't remember. But isn't that the great thing about our show is that you got five average people who are self-made, mm -hmm. and we give people hope. And I got to tell you, when I see come, somebody come out through those doors, I cannot not think of the opportunity that I had in this country and how hard my family worked their butt off right. to get here. If you work hard and you have an idea, man, you can make it. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come on as much as you can. Your message of hope is what people need to hear. Oh, I am you. tired of gloom. I'm tired of people not respecting what this country can do for people. And I need more people who understand the roots and what can be accomplished and what they're doing for women too. All right? Thank you. Okay. That's Robert Herjavec. He is the, the this, you've got to look into this company. Herjavec Group founder. This is fantastic. I got, there's, it's really easy. The cybersecurity conversations for the C-suite in 2018. It's where we learned about hygiene. That's where we learned about the idea that there is a purple team. Once you know about that. And you don't have to be a shark creating your own success. Terrific book. Yeah, I don't think this show, this man, thank you so much. Thank you. Can I do thank it you. once, Jim? Yes. Booyah! <laughs> <laughs> It is time! Serve the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skig Daddy? Time for the lightning round, crazy money. Let's start with Brent in Florida. Brent. Jim, booyah. Booyah. Hey, Brent in Florida here. Jim, I'd love to get your prognostication on Wells Fargo. They've I think it does nothing. There's so many great banks. Why would you even think about that one? Okay, let's go to Bill in Maryland. Bill. Hey, Jim, big Baltimore booyah for you. Congrats on 13 years of Mad Oh, Fun. thank you, partner. Thank you. Questions about Silicon Limited, S-I-L-C. I uh, saw they dropped off a lot uh, last week. I wonder if you should buy the dip or uh, sell it, hold it. What do you think? Multi-part uh, gigabit. I, 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 I don't really know that one, and I don't want to cuff it. Like the other day when I got the Aclaro, which uh, – it's actually been taken over. I did not. I was not close enough to it, so I'm not going to cuff that one. Let's go to Mitchell in New York, please. Mitchell. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Questions about Kara Therapeutics. You know, I believed in it. Obviously, the shorts are all over the thing. They don't think it's real. Let's have them back on. How about Jenny in New York? Jenny. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of I'm course. I'm a first-time caller. Excellent. My question is, my question is about Take-Two Interactive. Okay, Strauss Elders put together an amazing company. All those stocks have been under pressure repeatedly from a lot of different ways. I stand by my recognition, Take-Two. Anthony in New York. Anthony. 
Hey, Jim. My question is on the first NASDAQ-listed Canadian-licensed marijuana producer, Kronos Group, C-R-O-N. I like Constellation because they have, they give you some, uh, you got some marijuana in there uh, because they made an act, they made a, 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 they bought a stake in one. Let's stick with Constellation. They do report next week. I saw it up great today by Society General. I liked it. Chuck in Texas, Chuck. Hey, Jim. This is Chuck from the Piney Woods of East Texas. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing great. Listen, the AK Steel has gone south uh, with these uh, tariffs in place. What's, what's well, up with that? Well, because the company isn't that good. I mean, frankly, that's kind of what doesn't matter if the, if the dogs won't eat it. How about uh, Valji in Ohio? Valji. Hey, Valji from Cleveland, Ohio. Booty are to you from Cleveland Indians. My okay. stock is called new IPO called CASA, C-A-S-A. Buy, hold, or Okay, sell. so now I got to do a Claro, I got to do CASA, and I got to do one other, uh, the one, one, you know, it escapes me. That is my bad. I have to do all of these because they're important and they're communications and the stocks are trading wildly. How about Harsha in Arizona? Harsha. Hey, Kramer. How are you? I am good. Thank How you about so you, Harsha? Much. I'm good. Thank you so much for everything you do. I watch you every Thank day, you. and I'm learning a lot. Yes, just that's a what we do it for. Just a little perspective. Just a little perspective. I'm 33 years old, and I'm looking for growth. What do you think about True Car? I, I mean, why not buy Amazon? Why do we need True Car? Honestly, just go buy some Amazon. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. What can Facebook do to get its reputation back? And yes, it's stock moving higher again. One thing's certain, what they're doing now is not working. Yesterday, Facebook's VP of Marketing, Carolyn Everson, told an audience that the company is, and I quote, beyond disturbed by the data scandal. Uh, and quote, it's an incredible violation of everything we stand for. Uh, okay, that's terrific. Except who the heck is Carolyn Everson? And what's she doing making these comments at some shop talk retail conference? Butch League. Facebook's a huge $488 billion company with not one but two household name executives, Mark Zuckerberg, and he's the founder and CEO, Sheryl Sandberg, chief operating officer. Zook and Sheryl, they both have to come out and face the music, even if it's a funeral dirge. So here's what they should do. First, Zook needs to come out of hiding and say, we screwed up, we apologize, it will never happen again. Sounds straightforward, but anyone who's seen the social network knows that Zuckerberg wasn't exactly Mr. Humility even before he founded Facebook. Here's the thing. They both need to take full responsibility for whatever Cambridge Analytica did, regardless of whether or not they think they deserve to. They can't keep saying that it wasn't a data breach or it wasn't their data breach. That, that may even be true. Who cares? This is the court of public opinion, people, where you're guilty until proven innocent. And if they're not careful, it will end up being the court of law because the Senate, the House, and the FTC are all going to suggest that Facebook has too much market power. There are two ways to approach this issue. There's the Steve Ballmer route when Microsoft was being investigated for having too much power back in the day. CEO Ballmer famously said, we don't care what Janet Reno thinks. There were some meaner things associated, too. Well, Janet Reno happened to be the Attorney General of the United States. With that attitude, Microsoft found it, oh boy, found itself on the wrong side of a monopoly power lawsuit, and its stock fell 15 points from 105 to 90 when the verdict was announced. Then there's the Jamie Dimon approach. When lawmakers were investigating J.P. Morgan's London Wales scandal, basically a gigantic trading loss that never should have happened, CEO Diamond threw himself on their mercy. He said, we were not only dumb, we were stupid. That omission was brilliant. Be like Diamond. 
not Bomber. On top of that, Zook and Cheryl should forgo any salary or stock options until this mess is cleared up. Facebook should take every opportunity to explicitly state that you may want to opt out of any survey because they can only do so much to, uh, to police how your data gets used. It should be at the top like a cigarette warning. Most of all, though, they need to recognize the truth is a total distraction and abstraction in these situations. I recommend, and this is really important, guys, do this. Appointing the equivalent of a special prosecutor who's above reproach to investigate. I suggest Kenneth Feinberg, the man who investigated claims for the GM ignition switch defect. He handed the payouts, he handled the payouts from the 9-11 and from the Deepwater Horizon problems. And once he's hired, Facebook should do everything he says, even if offering recompense if it would help. Oh, and memo to Mark Zuckerberg, when you go before the Senate, you need to say just one thing. We made a mistake and we're sorry. If you don't know how to feign remorse, go look at the testimony of the bank CEOs in front of Congress. They apologized repeatedly and it went away. Finally, go make some friends, please. Isn't that what Facebook's voice? Isn't that why it was invented in the first place? Zuckerberg needs to spend some time in Washington, schmooze with a good lawyer, go on Jimmy Fallon, go on Stephen Colbert, and go on Jimmy Kimmel. And be human. Yet the future of Facebook stock depends on Mark Zuckerberg's ability to show some humility and for Sheryl Sandberg to be the Sheryl we thought we knew. Stick with Kramer. FedEx news is complicated. On the one hand, business is definitely, definitely strong. On the other hand, they are very worried about protectionism and tariffs, which is interesting because, remember, Fred Smith is a Republican. He's conservative, but he does not want to see trade wars. Uh, Salesforce, a little different story. They buy MuleSoft. The first thing you're going to say is, wait a second, why didn't they buy it last year? Okay, that's absolutely true. Perhaps they should have. But the point is, is they're going to have enterprise resource software, and that's where you want to be. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you, Radio Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.